Let's do it. Let's jump right in. Luke 15, 22 and 23. It says this. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Somebody say, get a ring for his finger. Get a what? For his This is all significant. I want you to write every single thing down that the Lord brings to you. Amen. Bring a ring to his finger and sandals for his sandals for his and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Underline verse 24. It says, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to what? Life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Today, I'd like to talk to you um, on this concept of what it means to be lost. This entire sermon series has been a lot of fun because we've been talking about uh, Jesus's, God's love for people that either don't know him, that, that have walked away from him, or, or people that need to be in relationship with him. Uh, here at Ambassadors Worship Center, for those of you that are watching online and those of you here in the room, um, our vision here at this organization, we literally exist so that you can experience and actually live in the kingdom. Multiple organizations, uh, they, they, their vision is what fuels them. It, it's what, you don't just eat Chick-fil-A because their food is good. They, their vision is, is that you would get your food and that it would be what? Their pleasure, right? Even if they don't feel it, they have to stand by it. Why? Because you can't work here unless you believe what we believe. So what we believe here at AWC is that we take the kingdom concepts that can be kind of difficult at times, we break them down, we make them practical so that you can actually experience the kingdom and somebody say live in it. Because what is the point of coming to church Sunday by Sunday where you are able to experience the kingdom in the church, but you can't live it at the house? So today, I'd like to teach you on this concept of why each and every one of us, can you say, is lost. Doesn't matter how found you are. Doesn't matter how righteous you think you are. Doesn't matter how much you've been saved by grace or by mercy. We have to understand something as humans, that Jesus, God himself, the Father, is better than us smarter than us, more loving than us, more righteous than us, more merciful than us, and he's just a gooder God. Yeah, he's gooder than you. I look at your name and say, he's gooder than you. Because if we believe the opposite, we will look at God as our opposition. If we believe that we're better than God, we'll begin to pray to move the hand of God rather than praying for God's favor. When we believe that we're better than God, we will walk into situations thinking that it's by our might and our power that things are changing. Like, this situation changed because I prayed. That's not biblical. This situation changed because I fasted. No, no, no. You fasted because you wanted to get closer to a God that knows your eternal truth. So if we want to understand a God that is eternal, we have to know that he is better than us. Somebody say he's better. And if he is better than us, that means that his character is inherently good. Regardless of what you're walking through, guess what? God is good. Regardless of what the counselor or the therapist said that you're dealing with in your psyche, like, I know you need to take your medicine, I know you need to go to your therapist, but regardless of what you're going through, guess what? God is, I know you stubbed your toe this morning at 6 o'clock in the morning and you cursed, and the, I, I know it sucks and, you're, and you got that bunion, but you decide to slip those shoes on, sweetheart, and they're cute, but your toe going to be toe up by the end of the sermon. Like, regardless of how much Benadryl you've taken, regardless of how much Tylenol you're taking, God is still Regardless of any type of hurricane, calamity, regardless of whatever happens, if the earth were to end today, if all the water was to be poisoned, that does not speak to the character of God. But many people use what is happening in their life to justify a God that is eternal. 9-11 happens, it's absolutely terrible, something that happens in our nation, and people say that God made it happen, but that's not his character. But we as humans are really, really fickle. God has, has existed since forever. 
But we will live to the ripe age of 70 and think that we know every single facet of God. But God doesn't exist. He just is. So if we as humans have this, if we have the wrong concept of who God is, we will misjudge how he's trying to help us even in our turmoil. But how many of you guys know that sometimes the lowest place in your life is actually the battleground, but it's also the foreground of where God is making you? How many people in the room, you're being made right now, like even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the key point of that, of, of that verse is what? Even though I walk through, I'm not building a house here. I'm not putting a tent here. I'm not even bringing a book bag because we're not staying here. Somebody say, I'm not staying here. Yea, though I walk through, not yea, though I pitch a tent in the valley of the shadow of death, but many of us pitch a tent in the valley of death and then claim that God isn't good, but you stopped moving. Look at your neighbor and say, don't stop moving. Slap a neighbor and say, don't stop moving. So we're in the sermon series, and this is week six. I'm super excited. We get to close it out. Um, in next sermon series, we're talking about who God is. The sermon series is called Hello, My Name is God. But as I was um, wrestling with the scripture, um, the Holy Spirit was telling me, like, why don't you just tell them who I am now? Like, why, like, why wait two weeks? But there's something that we have to understand about the character of God when it comes to the lost. Because most people think that God is this person that's sitting up on a mountaintop trying to smite people. And he never has, he's, that's never been his character towards the people that he's redeemed. Now, God will sometimes make some situations tough for those that haven't chosen him. But if you're in relationship with him and things are not going how you want them to go or how you, you think that they should go, you still have to understand that God is with you. Somebody say amen. amen. So our anchor scripture in this sermon series is Matthew 28 and 19. In the New Living Translation, this is what it says. It says, therefore, do what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In this series for the past six weeks, I mean, outside of Pastor Fumi last week who taught an amazing message. It wasn't a part of the sermon series, but how many of you were blessed? How many women went home and wrote down your business plan? How many women went home and dusted off your business plan? Yeah, this is the season of manifestation for every single female, and they said what? Amen. But in this sermon series, what we're understanding is that when we go to the nations, like, that's not something that's practical for everyone. We're living in a time right now where getting a passport is difficult. And even renewing a passport is even more difficult. And how many of you here haven't even left the state of Nebraska? Oh, you ain't going to admit it. Okay, all right. No, it's okay. It's all right. No, no, no. But this concept, when we look at Matthew 28 and 19, when it says to make disciples of all nations, we have to do a couple of things. Since we're not going to all step foot on every single continent, that means that maybe the nations are closer to us than what we thought. Maybe the nations isn't going to another foreign, uh, a foreign land, but sometimes the foreign land is within the four walls of your home. Oh, you want to know how I know? That's why your kids stay in their room, because they put a flag down. They said, this is mine. And they don't leave. The kitchen is foreign. You know, like they sneak in the night. Go get some crackers. Go back to the room, right? And now we're living in a time where people can come to church together, but they haven't had a dinner together. There's no more family-style meals. It's I'll go to canes and then I'll go to get a burger and then you go get tacos and we eat separately. So we're practicing relationship in the church, but then when we get to the house, we have no relationship with the people we're supposed to live with. And we'll show more affection to a person that pays us a salary than somebody that birthed our kids or the children that we have. And this isn't the call of God. So we have to understand that if we're going to be in relationship with Christ, the best way to practice relationship with Christ is relationship with others. The word of God says that they will know how you love me based off of how you love one another. 
So it's no, it's, it's no uh, a surprise that the Christian church is failing right now because we don't know how to show and effectively love one another in front of others. There are some conversations that you need to have in private. Everybody say amen. But there are some conversations that you need to have in front of people to edify the person. What would it do to somebody that you've hurt their feelings if you apologize to them in front of other people that love them? But we're failing as a, as, 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 as a religion. We're, we're failing as a group because of the fact that we're too self-righteous. If I apologize to this person, I, I, I lose, my, I lose my, my, my pride. I lose my machismo. Like, I'm a man. I'm always right. But this is the thing. Nobody is right except for God. Anything that you have ever been right in is not your opinion. It was God giving you a sample of what is truth. I'm not even in my sermon. I'm not sure where I'm here right now. But I think that before I even say what I really want to say today, we have to understand something. Self-righteousness is just as bad as any type of addiction. Thinking that you are better than someone just because of your very existence is just as bad as someone being an alcoholic, smoking, anxiety, all of that stuff. So God doesn't want us to be in this place where we are calling people to an organization, but our spirit is rejecting them while they are here. It's the concept of being in a room full of people, but being by yourself. And somebody say, not on my watch. So when we look at Matthew 28, it says the nations. Somebody say the nations. In the sermon series, we've been like really unboxing. I really like this handheld because I can talk like all over the place and it still works. This is awesome. But when we look at the nations, uh, when we look at the nations, we have to unbox it. And we've been using this concept called the wild. Can you say the wild? Now, I don't know about any of you, if you've taken any um, trips before, but when you go to a resort, there is an area that is developed, which is where you stay and eat. And then there's another part of the island that is underdeveloped, and you don't go there unless you go with somebody that knows what they're doing. Why? Because there's lions, tigers, bears, stuff that if you eat, if you touch it, it will kill you. But we have become so comfortable with the poison ivy that when God gives us a salad, we think that that's bad. So this conversation that we've been having for the past six weeks isn't to drag people out of a life that they're, that they're in because that's not, that's not the Bible. Our job is to present them with something that is new that's better than what they're in. And we deliver Jesus to people. We deliver the kingdom of God to people, not just by having a Bible study, but by living a good life. Somebody say, live a good life. So we've been in this book um, called Luke, and it's been a lot of fun because we've been talking about a couple of different parables. The first sermon that I taught was go and do the same. That was the parable of the Samaritan. How many of you that, 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 that blessed you? That one was a blessing for me. Um, and that sermon was for those uh, who don't know God. Can you say those that don't know God? The next sermon was just keep going. Uh, that was the parable of the sower. Remember, there was four different types of ground, and he owned all the fields. But what we had to understand in that sermon was that that was to help your heart posture th- towards those that are lost. Your job is to, somebody say, just keep sowing. The third sermon that I had the opportunity to teach was go get whoever. And it was the parable of the king's feast. That, and you remember that one? He, he created a great feast and he wanted people to come to it. And the people that he originally invited had some other things to do. You remember one guy bought a house. The other guy got married, which is another thing because marriage should actually push you closer to the cross and not drag you from it. But I digress. Um, so, th- so then this conversation is the king says, you know what? Since they don't want to come, go get whoever. This concept had to do with those that were um, interested in God. But today I'd like to talk to you about a concept of those people who have chosen to be lost. My title this morning, if you want to write it down and say, "Mm, that's good, is the one who walked away. The one who walked away. When we look at the book of Luke, it's really interesting how Luke decides to portray Jesus. When we look at the Bible, Luke never met Jesus physically. 
He only met him through stories with Paul and through his own personal experiences with the Holy Spirit. This gives us proof that we don't have to listen to a historian to prove that Jesus lived or not. If we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we know who God is. That's the reason why you might not have ever met your granddaddy, but people will say, man, that was your granddaddy right there. Like as you're moving, as you're talking, your facial inflections, it's because God puts his likeness in man to show people how good he is. You ever lost your credit card? You ever lost a wallet and somebody gave it back to you? It's one thing to think that that person is good, but what if that was a sign that God is still good? Like, wow, they're still good in the earth. So this book of Luke is very important because Luke decides to share with people God's specific heart with people that are lost. And not every person that is lost is unaware. Some people are lost and they're running away. Churches are sitting in a place right now where they are critical, where people aren't coming back to church. And people think that it's the church. And I've been doing a lot of research since, since I've been working in this organization of, called the, the oh, I'm sorry, this industry called church. Like, I, I love numbers. Like, I like looking at statistics. Like, if people aren't showing up, if something's not working out, I want to know why. And just saying, oh, it's the weather or the Huskers lost. I don't believe that because if the Huskers lose, they party. They're partying now. Sorry, Husker fans. So it's not a concept of football, it's not a concept of weather, but maybe it's a concept of people trying to run away from an eternal God and thinking that they can. That's the funniest concept. You think that not coming to church and staying at home makes you exit relationship with God, but he's everywhere at all times. He's literally sitting at the end of time where your knee is going to bow. So if this conversation of bowing your knee is going to happen, maybe we should make the decision before we're six feet under so that we can live in freedom on earth. I don't want to have to go to heaven to be free. There are some places I haven't seen my wife in a bikini yet. Oh, that, that's, I'm married now. Y'all said to wait until you're married. I'm married. We haven't had children yet. I haven't bought my parents a house here. Yet. I haven't watched my sister destroy somebody in the court of law yet. So if I rush to get to heaven, I can skip out on the God appointments that he wanted for me on earth. And Dr. Moreau said it the best, that the most rich place in the world is what? The graveyard. But some of your houses, some of our houses are graveyards. There are words that you have not said in your home yet. There are conversations you haven't had in your bedroom yet with your wife. The pillow talk that's necessary. Not the one that arouses the physical, but the one that arouses the mental and the psychological, right? So this is the thing. We don't want you to die yet because you haven't even started living. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him may not perish. So why are we so focused on dying? Look at your neighbor and say, have eternal life. So when we look at the book of Luke, it's so interesting in uh, 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 chapter 15 that Jesus is sitting amongst these people that the religious scholars say that he shouldn't be around. Tax collectors, um, uh, those that go and grab and snatch Christians out. Like there was a point in time where Christians were being drug out of homes and killed. Right? So we talk about, man, our, our religion is oppressed. Not like it used to be. You can carry a Bible in this country. Like, you feel me? Okay. Luke starts to talk to uh, other people regarding God's soul for the law. So we're going to jump into Luke 15 and 11. Here we go. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Somebody say two sons. The younger son told his father, somebody scream it. I want my share of your estate now before you die. No, no, no. 
Okay, how many of you, okay, now, now y'all all said that like every person in this room had a great relation with their dad. I want you to think about the person that you cannot stand and say it again. I want my share of your estate now before you die. That's how he said it. I've been reading this, 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 this verse and like I'm trying to like put myself in the Bible because the Bible still speaks. It just wants to know if your ear is willing to hear. The young man says, I want my share of your estate right now before you die. So this, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. My first point today is that God will sometimes grant you your release. The son asks for his inheritance. At this point in time, any time that you wanted to be a good father, it wasn't by what you built. It wasn't by what you planted. It was by what you passed on. But... In the Jewish culture, and, do, and we, when we look at Deuteronomy, right? So Deuteronomy in the, in the Bible, we get like the laws of the Bible, right? We get the Ten Commandments. We realize that you don't mess with God. You don't play with him. He's loving, but he's also a judge, right? A lot of Christians get that messed up. Like, he's a good, good father, but he's also got a gavel. Yeah, this thing called grace and mercy isn't greasy. It's very black and white. There's some things you can and can't do if you want to live in this faith. So the son comes to his father. And there are a couple of things that we can understand. Number one, he's young. He's not of age. At this point in time, 30 was the year that children were able to receive the inheritance from their father. But the minute that you ask for it outside of that, the father, by Jewish law, had the ability to kill you. In short, what this young man is saying is that you're dead to me. Give me what's mine. We read this, sermon, we read this, this scripture and like we, we gloss over it. The prodigal son runs away and he comes home. But the reason why he ran home, people are like, it's not in the Bible. But I can tell you why it is. Because we live it every day. You're frustrated. We think that we deserve something that we're not ready for yet. One way that I know I can read that is because in this process of succession, I wanted this platform before I was even equipped to do so. I wanted to teach the word of God because I got a word. But sometimes you have a word, but you are worrying people. It can sound good as it comes off of your tongue, but it sends people confused. So pastors will stand in this place being ordained, but they're literally creating chaos in people's lives because they don't know the word that they're speaking. So there was a process that I had to go to to get to this point where I'm in front of you. I'm not in front of you because I'm good. I'm in front of you because I got co-signed. So the son says what? Give me my stuff now. That is basically saying, you're dead to me. I'm done with you. You're a terrible father. Everything that you've built, I don't want it. Just give me my portion so I can get up out of here. The father has to make a decision. Do I love him through his ignorance or do I kill him and protect my stuff? Do I love him through this part that he doesn't understand? Or do I murder him lawfully? In the word, it says, if you ask me before 30, I can kill you. And look at what the father does. Look at what the father does. Look at what the father does. The father doesn't say anything to him. He listens. God's character is this. You can yell, scream, and be upset with him all the time, right? We pray those types of prayers. God, I can't stand you. God, you're terrible. But this is the thing. God isn't absent when you say those things. He hears every word. Sometimes the reason why God doesn't say anything is because he's receiving all of what you're asking for. So we'll pray prayers like this. God, would you just leave me alone? Then we question why God isn't there because he has left you alone. God doesn't exist. He's not around. He doesn't. I, he, he doesn't. No, you literally gave him permission to release you from his presence. 
When the young man didn't know was that he received the coin, but he then denied the covering. I've got my inheritance, but according to this custom, now the father has to chop off his last name. Because at this point in time, it wasn't about the money and the inheritance. Inheriting the last name is more important than the coin. That's the reason why giving is so important. Yes, you give and yes, you want to be prosperous in your life. But the whole point of your religion and faith is to get God's last name. It's not the principle that has favor. God gives the principle favor. Does that make sense? Let's go to uh, uh, Luke 15, 13. A few days later, remember, the father doesn't have a conversation with him. The father doesn't fight him. The father doesn't push him. The father doesn't say, hey, bro, you don't know what you're doing. I'm your father. I know more than you. He just lets him go. I want you to understand something and, like, underline this in your psyche. God will never fight you when you make a decision to leave him. He doesn't fight you. It's so interesting. People say, if God was a good God, he wouldn't allow Eve to eat the fruit. No, Eve wanted to eat the fruit. God created us with free will. So that means that any and every decision that we, that we make to walk away from hard situations, the situation wasn't too hard. We gave up too early. I'm a testament to that. There are certain relationships that are destroyed right now, not because the person was wrong, which they were, but I didn't have enough energy to work it out. But it's really easy for us to cut people off because, like, did you see what they said to me? Yeah, but that's your mom, bro. Like, I can't believe she said that to me. Like, and I don't understand that because we have a, a pretty nice fa- uh, tight-knit family group. But just because you see us tight-knit doesn't mean that we have heated conversations at the house. Look at your neighbor and say, work through it. Luke 15 and 13, it says, a few days later. Somebody say, a few days later. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings, and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in what? Wild living. Isn't it interesting that this son asks for his inheritance, but the inheritance wasn't enough? He still needed three more days to gather his stuff. But the father has told him, he's like, yes, you can have your inheritance, but anything and everything in this house that is yours has now been cursed, and you have to get it out of my house. That toothbrush, you got to take it. That comforter, we can't wash the stench of dishonor off of it. you got to take it. So in a lot of our lives, we ask God, where are you at? And God didn't leave us because he's not good. He left us because we're fickle. Yeah, this is going to be a Listerine type of sermon. You might not feel the best when you leave out of here, but if you're going to experience and live in the kingdom, we have to have the right uh, concept of who God is. God has a certain type of love for those that are lost that don't know him. But his love is reckless for those that he know you know better. That's the reason why my parents will love certain people. And when I was growing up, I'm like, man, you love them like, like, like super nice. And my dad would say they don't know me, but you do. The love becomes harder the closer you get to it. Maybe that's the reason why your boss, you think that they hate you, but they actually see you on a higher level. Maybe that's the reason why some of you here, you think your parents are trying to kill you. Yeah, they're trying to kill you. No, this version of you needs to die because what they ask for from God, you're not ready for yet. Somebody say glory. So God isn't bad. God is not ruthless, but his love is. Look at your neighbor and say, you know better. My sister used to talk to me about stuff. Like, when they'd be out of town, and she's like, you know better. Daddy going to get you. Like, you know daddy coming home, right? Like, they go on vacation, and you act up. You're like, you know he still lives here. You know what I'm saying? 
When you're lost, God doesn't know where you are. He just allows you to think it. A few days later, this young son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. Because up until this point, if you were a good man, you owned properties. Meaning that you can't leave this house and go to the penthouse. You can't leave this house and go to the guest house. If you are going to leave this house, you have to leave the land. So, you, no, you can't live in the Midwest because I own it all. So get your stuff and move to California. Matter of fact, I'm about to buy California, so you got to figure it out. Go to Canada. Because since God is holy, that means that anything that is unholy cannot be near him. And guess what? It's for your sake. God is so good that he can't allow sin. He can't allow how you think about yourself. He can't allow anything that wasn't in Genesis 1 cannot be in his presence. Because once it gets there, it has to die. So sometimes it's better that we leave God's presence. Because if we stay and try to press in, parts of our lives, parts of our lives begin to fall off. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and what? Moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money. Somebody say, all his money. The little money he had, it was gone. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. In the New King James, it says that he manipulated the local farmer. The reason why he had to manipulate the local farmer is because the farmer was owned by his father. When you are in this time, there's this thing called a signet ring. And the sign on the ring is what you press on stamps, is what you press on letters to prove that I am from the house of X, Y, and Z. So Williams, I am from the house of Williams. But I only have power in this ring, not because I'm in the land, but because I'm in relationship with the father. There are some situations in our lives that are not working and we're proclaiming God over it. It's not working because he's not good. It's not working because we don't have relationship with him. It's easy to pray. It's easy to worship. It's easy to give your life to Christ. But the question is, do you know him? And the only way that we get to know him is spending time with him. Somebody say with him. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry. Somebody say so hungry. That even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. So hungry. Somebody say, so hungry. Look at your neighbor. Some, who, who's hungry here? Like, I'm so hungry. What does it feel like to be hungry? If you get to the point where you are so hungry, you will settle for things that you never were attracted to before. But guess what? No one gave him anything. At some point, we all have asked this question. How in the world did I get here? Like, huh? You used to love God. Remember, this sermon is for the people that walked away. You used to love God. And not all the people that walked away from God left the church. Some people have no relationship with God, want nothing to do with him, but they know how God, how God is. And like, at least let me stay in the church so like, you know. But we ask ourselves this question while we're in the pig pen, how did I get here? And instead of trying to work our way through grace to get back to the house, we wallow in the stuff that we shouldn't be in. How many of you have ever been in that point in time where you stayed in a season of your life longer than you needed to? 
A lot of people say, like, it was, I got hindsight, 2020. Once I got out of it, I realized. I realized it when I started. This is not it. This is, this is less than what I've been created for. Somebody say, less than what I've been created for. Now he is in a place where what used to repulse him is now his last resort. So he's literally in the pig pen. He has on his royal garb. Because he came from a place of wealth. He has, he has rings. He, I mean, he has no more money, right? Well, maybe he probably sold it because he had no money. You know, when you go to your last resort, he's in that thing naked. Somebody say naked. And now he moves from having the character of a son in relationship to the character of pigs. Because whoever you're living with, you will automatically take on their characteristics. So what are the characteristics of pigs? Is this good? Pigs are sloppy, careless, dirty. And they're negligent. Now a son who was supposed to be in right standing with his father, he was supposed to receive an inheritance. He had a roof over his head. Everything was working out with him. Now he's in a place where his character that was all together is now sloppy. Where he used to care about the things of God, now he could care less. Where he used to walk in this place where he was right standing with God, now he's dirty with sin. And another thing, now he's negligent. He knows that he's in the wrong place, but he just doesn't care enough to change the situation. And that's many of us. Not having the favor of God isn't so bad. Like, I, I, can, I can figure this out on my own. Like, you, like, God is good, but, like, the price I have to pay to be in relationship with him, like, it's not worth So, like, I, I, can, I can figure this thing out. I can watch church from home. Not saying that for those of you that watch church that it's bad, but for some of you, you made a decision not to deal with the hardships of being in the building for the ease of being at the house, and it's not the same. Look at your neighbor say, make a decision. The most dangerous thing in the world isn't the cost of sin, but it's the cost of our independence. What this kid did not understand and where I've been before is that the inheritance that my dad gave me will run out if I don't have relationship with him. So the blessing that we ask God for when we give, the blessing that we ask God for when we're in right standing, it works. It's, it's abundant. It, it produces after its own kind only if you stay connected to the source. But remember, God is good. So we'll ask God, we'll fast and we'll pray, we'll get the person that we want to marry, we'll get the money, we'll get the car, we'll get, we'll, get, we'll get the job, and then all of a sudden, I no longer start going through the ABCs and one, two, threes to stay in right standing. I take what he gave me, I walk into distant lands, and then I realize I'm no longer in the house, I'm in the pig pen. Like, and it's just like, how did I get here? And then we'll blame God. God, there's no way that you love me. There's no way you're not good. And God is staying at the house on the porch just waiting for you to realize that everything that you got, I gave it to you. For some of us in this room, your business idea wasn't your own intellect. It came to you in a worship service. Your marriage coming together, yes, it was ultimately the hand of God, but an elderly family came and laid hands on you and gave you the blessing from their life. Your child might have suffered with seizures and epilepsy, and yes, he's on medication, and yes, he's going to therapy, but somebody actually encouraged you that just because he's sick or they're sick doesn't mean that you're not a good mother and not a good father. So the first seed of our lives working out doesn't always come from our thinking, but it comes from the culture that we are around. The reason why your life is the way that it is is because you're connected to this place, not because I'm a good pastor. Your relationships, glory to God! Your relationships with people 
are just as important as the sermon. Your relationships with people are just as good as a small group. Your relationships with people are just as important as giving your life back to Christ every single weekend. But we think that just because we got what we need and our cup is full, that we can keep our cup full. I got what I needed in that season of going to church. That's ridiculous. The reason why people get season tickets to Nebraska, number one, is so that they can go every single weekend. They sell a part of their liver. They would, as Pastor Martin says, we don't want your kids, but people have sold their children for season tickets. Right now, the way y'all Huskers are doing, people would sell their children to get Frank Solich back in here. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> and we will begin to sell parts of us to the enemy, and we didn't even make that happen. You can't even come together with your husband or your wife to make a child. God has to bless it. So we can begin to unscrew our minds from God, thinking that we can establish this thing by ourselves. But this is the thing I want you to write down, is this. After a while, famine will find you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I really care about your soul. This sermon is for the person that's about to give up on God. You gave up on God or you don't think God is real. Let me talk to you as your big brother. That's dope. You got your inheritance. Took you three days. You got out of the ministry. You got out of the house. That's cool. You went to college on campus because you earned it. Trust me, that's my testimony. But at some point in time, daddy's money will run out if daddy's hand isn't on your heart. We love the house. We love that your family's working. We love the fact that you did all the steps to get married in the house. But don't take the marriage out of the house. Like, please. Haven't you seen enough examples of it not working? And it's always the same. Please, you started the business. Don't go and hire somebody that you don't know. There are people in this church that need a job. Can't you give them an opportunity? But instead, we get to the point where we look at God and we say, I want my stuff now and I'm gone. And we don't realize that at some point in time, the famine will touch you. Why hasn't famine touched you during COVID? It's because of your relationship with Christ. Not because you're a good budgeter. It's not because of, of, of some, some stimulus check. No, I'm connected to the source that created the material of gold and matter. He created the neurons and he created gas. So, like, so now we unhook our mind from a God and connect it to, and connect it to a political party. And then we vote for people to do stuff for us that God never intended. The way in which you experience the kingdom of God is not having to have somebody to stand between you and him. The word of God says that you are sons and daughters of the Most High. How dare you stand in front of me when I come to my father? I would kill you to get to my dad. That's the kind of tenacity God wants. But then we'll sing songs that are reckless love. Oh, I couldn't earn it. I couldn't deserve it. God is chasing me down. But we won't take steps towards him. So I understand that you walked away. I get it. I don't want to be here all the time. I get it. The sermons aren't all for me. I get it. Tina doesn't sing all the right notes all the time. I get it. The media team misses it sometimes. I get it. Pastor Martin teaches a message that I'm still learning in the process. I get it. But does that give you a reason to leave? Why leave? We read this, this scripture and we look at the boy and we say certain things like this. Man, if that was me, I would have never left. But we've all been that person at some point in our life. It got too hard. It got too hot. I'm in this area where I can't read your heart posture. That doesn't give you a reason to give up on God. Remember what we talked about before. 
You asked for this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So it's not that God isn't good, but sometimes God doesn't meet us in the valley. He's at the end of the cavern cheering us on to keep walking forward. Look at your neighbor and say, don't pitch a tent. The most dangerous place in the world is being comfortable in your own sin. Because whatever you're comfortable in, you will justify. That's the reason why if you put makeup on a pig, it doesn't matter how good you clean it up to be, it still smells. Bro, I know you got Yeezys. I know you got her a new car. I understand that your children go to the top school. I get it. You go on vacation. But you stink. Because you're still in the pig pen. And all you have to do is somebody say, come to your realization. Is this good? Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, somebody say finally. He said to himself, isn't that interesting? That once he comes to his senses, he doesn't curse his father. That's what we do. We're addicted into some stuff. We're trapped up in some stuff. And what do we say? God, you, you left me. But God didn't leave. You left. The most important part of this sermon, it, glory to God, is the fact that when he had the justification to think he could yell at God, he yells at himself. Why did you do this to yourself? But as Christians, mature Christians ask the question of themselves. Immature Christians blame God. The reason why Joshua was addicted wasn't because God was bad. It was because I was negligent. And if we become serious with ourselves, we'll begin to realize that God is a good father. Isn't it interesting that they went from good, good father to reckless love? But the only way that you get to God being good is that you got to go through the reckless parts. So now the son is sitting in the pig pen. And at some point in time, he realizes, man, these are pigs. I'm, I'm not a pig. This is slop. Like, I used to eat filet mignon, like, as much as I want. Like, I used to, like, I used to be able to brush my teeth. And, he's, and, I, and I've envisioned it that he stands up and he's looking at himself. Like, what, what, did, you, what did you do to yourself? What, what did you, when did you get comfortable with this? Like, 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 you used to serve every Sunday, and now you're never here. Like, how did, I, how did this become comfortable for me? How did I get to this point? I used to give and tithe. And not just give and tithe. I was actually a person that was generous. Because giving and tithing is not just a principle that you practice here. Giving and tithing is when you give out of the goodness of your heart to somebody that needs it. At the grocery store, when you pay for somebody's groceries, that's your tithe. Because you're doing it unto the Lord. You used to be generous and now you're not. You used to love people and now you think that your people are the only people that matter. And none of these things are the kingdom. And I see him sitting there in the pig pen trying to figure out, how did I get this far away from God? And that's where all of us are. I'm there right now. It doesn't matter how much relationship you have with God, all of us are never as close as he would like us to be. Okay, okay. Doesn't matter who you think is holier than you. Doesn't matter who you think is more righteous. It doesn't, like me, myself, I'm not even as close to God as what God would want with me. Which means that each and every one of us has a measure of being in the pig pen. This is the concept of grace. Grace doesn't save you from sin. That's too simple. He died for that. God doesn't care about sin. Grace covers you when you leave his presence. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not die but have everlasting life. Cool. If you receive Christ, that means that you've been saved. God doesn't care when you cry about your addiction. He's already saved you from it. 
He just wants us to realize that we already have his grace. So the son is sitting in the pig pen, smelly, standing up, looking all around himself like, what, what is this going on? And look at what he says. When he finally came to his what? Senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants had food enough to spare. I'm the son of my father, but even the hired help had enough food to give. So how much more did I have? There are some things you will not realize about, there are some things you will not realize about God's presence in church until you leave it. You don't realize how many people were praying with you with rusty knees because they're older than 70 until you leave their presence. You don't always have to hear the prayers that the older folks are praying for you. As soon as you leave the presence, you feel that what they were praying over you is now gone. So now he's coming to this realization, like, man, even the servants had food. Why did I leave? And here I am doing what? Dying of hunger. What does he say, verse 18? You know what? I'm going to the crib. I'm going home. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I want you to write this down. The return will often require repentance. And it's not crying and slobbing, and it's not a whole bunch of boogers. But if you're going to go back to a place that you dishonored, you're going to have to come with a gift. Isn't it interesting that he puts himself in his father's presence before he gets there? This is the part that got me, Dwayne. The son begins to practice what he's going to say to his father in his presence in the pig pen. While he's in anxiety and depression, not delivered. He begins to talk to him. When I get out of here and I see Jesus, I'm going to repent. I'm going to ask for this, that, and the other. As the, as the family is falling apart and you're about to sign the divorce papers in the pig pen, you have the ability to be there as you're signing and be like, wait a minute, this isn't the will of God. As you're sitting at the school in the principal's office and the teachers are trying to tell you that your son or your daughter is slow and you need to put them in this class, you can sit there and say, but that's not what I prayed for. How did I get here where I would listen to the voice of a man before I listened to the voice of God? And this is the part that gets me. This is the part that gets me. Is this good? So he returned home to his father. Now, this is the part of Christianity that doesn't work. Because once we leave a place dishonorably, we're too afraid to go back. This whole sermon series is about making getting into the house of God easier. But the biggest thing about that keeps us out of church isn't people's opinions of us. It's our opinion of our self. Man, I left wrong. I know I left wrong. I didn't give them no two weeks. I didn't give them no email. I didn't give them no text message. Like, I left. Man, and when I left on that Sunday, like, they were counting on me. Like, I, like why did I do that? Like, I, like, they were leading that ministry, and I was a part of it, and then I left, and now the ministry doesn't happen. Like, God, like, how did this happen? But he doesn't allow how he feels about himself to keep him out of the presence of God. This is my call to you that are online. There are some of you who AWC is your church. You left. You get it. It was messy. It was bloody. You might have cursed some people out and spit in their face. Cool. Like, 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 trust me. Every single one of us has had that situation, maybe not at church, but in our lives. Anybody ever been there before? You've smelled like somebody's spit. You've had somebody's hand across your face. Look at your neighbor. Say, they left wrong. But the reason why you can't leave that person's name out of your mouth is because you still care. 
we still care. We know that your life outside of this place isn't the same as if you were still connected. But if we begin to teach sermons that keep people away, regardless of what they did, then the kingdom will never be preached. The kingdom is reaching regions of the world where people don't even speak in actual language. They, see, they, they, they speak in dialects, like clicks and stuff. And it's missing the person down the street that actually needs this place. So maybe our heart posture needs to change. The son is sitting in the pig pen. He has a dialogue with himself. And somebody say, go home, Roger. That's what I should have named this sermon. Next time I teach it. So he returned home to who? His father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Why did his father see him coming? Because he never left the porch. Every day. Hey, I'm going to bed, but can you come here, please? Can you please hurry. You're a servant. Move. I need you to watch. I need you to watch this as I go to bed. Like, and so when you see him, he has, um, he has uh, a curly black hair. Um, uh, he's he's going to be kind of mocha skin. So if you see him, like, I just want you to, like, just, okay. okay. The next day, stay watch. I got to go handle some business. But, okay, so he's, he's about yay high. You're, like, two feet taller than me. This is great. You have a better vantage point. Okay, so he, he might be coming from the east or the west, but your job is, is this side. Okay, you, you see him? Okay, all right. Um, Man, I wish you would come. Okay, okay, so, so they've got this part. I, I need you to go to the corner. Okay, now when he comes, he might be on like a chariot or a donkey. He might smell a little bit. So here, I need you to, I need you to wear that just in case he smells. Go, 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 go. Y'all see him? You don't see him? Are you sure? And the father's heart is just as broken at the house as his is in the big pig pen. This is the problem with Christianity. Thank you. We think God's heart isn't broken when we leave. We think God is okay without us. But if we sing that God is a good, good father, that means that he's still on the porch with the light on waiting for you to come home. And he will go down any road to make sure that he doesn't miss you. So he'll put together pastors. He'll put together friends and family. He'll put together mentors. That if any sign of my son, any sign of my son, if I, I don't want to miss him when he comes home, this is an opportunity. If I see him, if you see him, you got to come and get me. I don't care how late it is. I don't care about how far I am away. If you see my son, come get me. Thank you. Thank you. And the father is an expectation. The father doesn't care about what he said in verse 15. He doesn't care that he yelled at him. The father doesn't care that his son wishes that he was dead. All that he cares about is that his son come home. Just come home. Just come home. Just come home. Just come home. I'm tired of seeing old AWC people on Facebook struggling. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of people from his organization that used to come here asking just for 10 people to buy their product. We used to buy your product. We loved your product. When you and your family weren't eating, your children were eating because somebody in this church loved you enough. Just come home. Just come home. Just come home. Just, just, come, just come home. But they're going to think something about me. Forget those people. They're not even here anymore. It's like, they come home. 
not the same church that you left. Because as the father, as, as, the, as the son is gone, the father is expecting. He didn't give his son's room away. He didn't turn his son's room into an office. He didn't turn, he didn't turn his son's, his son's uh, horse into an Uber for horses. No, he kept his name on it because he knew you can't get too far away from me until you got to come back home. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Come home. Come home. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and where do principalities live in between our ears. You're fighting what you think about yourself and it hasn't even happened yet. But what if they say this? We don't know you. We don't even know what you look like anymore. But the further the son got away from his father, the more the father's expectation grew. The further you run away from God and your assignment, your purpose hasn't changed. You just have to go through God to get to it. The kingdom isn't dead. You just left your crown at the house. You can't take this crown with you. You can't, you can't take this crown with you. There can only be one king, and I got to wear it. And until I'm dead, you have to trust what I'm telling you is true. Joshua, you think you know what you're talking about, but you have no idea. You're going to confuse the people. Joshua, you don't study enough. You, I can't let you teach that to the people. It's not, it's not developed. Joshua, you're not ready to marry Vanessa because you're not correct yet. You're going to destroy this young lady's life because you're underdeveloped. And in many of those situations, I left the house. But as I was sitting in the pig pen, I had to come to a realization. My parents were right. Then I had to do this thing that we suck at doing as Christians, is working through our pride. As soon as we meet pride, we stop. Carry that thing with you. And when you get to the house, I promise your father will help you unpack it. The most amazing thing about God is this. God is okay with you being upset with him. And he's also okay with you bringing that upsetness with him to him. He's also okay with taking that upsetness that you have with him, about him, breaking it down with you, with him. God doesn't care that you're angry at him. He's big enough and strong enough to help you unpack your feelings about him with him. God doesn't care that you've cursed him. He can't be cursed. So he's okay that you say, I hate God. God is this cold. You hate me? Hey, let's talk about that. Why? That's, oh, well, let me explain myself. I never left you. I know your father put his hands on you. I know that your mom was an alcoholic. I get that. I created them too. Don't you forget who made man's mouth. I am God Almighty. I never left you. You just left the house. Somebody say, come back home. Come back home. You were branded with AWC. It doesn't matter if you're in California, Florida, Tanzania. It doesn't matter. The brand is still on your signet ring. Come back to the house. Somebody say, he's expecting me. He's expecting you. He's not going to beat you over the head when you get back to the house. Look at what it says that he does. So he returned home. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, what does his father do? He leaves the porch and he runs after his son. Doesn't matter how far away you get from God, God will always meet you in the middle. There are some people that God chases. There are some people that God follows. And there are some people that God just waits for. That's me. God doesn't chase me when I make the wrong decision, Kent. He doesn't follow me into, God allows the stuff that, I'm, that he's trying to keep away from me, he allows it to happen. And he stays at the porch. 
Like, bro, you know you can't do this by yourself. Like, there's no other way that you can fulfill my purpose without me. Like, you can't. How can you fulfill my purpose for you without me? Come back, come back home. Somebody say, come back home. I pray that that creates an irritation in you that are, that are watching. Come home. Stop playing this game like you don't need us. We need you. There are parts of this ministry that aren't able to do what it needs to do because you're not back at the house. We haven't turned your, your, your room into an office. We haven't turned your room into an expect, expect, uh, expecting room for another baby. No, your room still has its name on it. You're supposed to be on the worship team. You're supposed to be in media. You're supposed to be with our children. You're supposed to be not just here, leading a small group. But this is the thing. The table will always be incomplete if we make people that are supposed to fill at the table uncomfortable. Somebody say, come home. home. Filled with love and compassion, the father runs to his son and he embraces him. And guess what he does? He kisses him. This blew my mind. His son said to him, father, I have sinned against you both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Since the son pre-planned what he was going to say, his journey to get from the pig pen to his father, he didn't allow the, the, the journey to change what he was going to say. He made up his mind before he came back, this is what I'm going to say. Because when you make your decision to come to church on that Sunday after two, three, four, five years, some stuff is going to talk to you while you're driving down uh, 72nd Street. Hey, sis, this ain't it. This ain't it. Go to the gym. This ain't it. Go get mimosas. This ain't it. Go drink. This ain't it. Go. But he made up in his mind, when I get to, I got to get home because this ain't it. Somebody say, this ain't it. It's not enough to leave the pig pen. You have to denounce it. The son realizes that the father who is standing on the porch hasn't become nicer or more understanding, but that was who he was the entire time. (laughs) We want to believe that he comes back and that his father's loving arms are now new. He always loved his son, but, but we never teach that part. We teach that he was so frustrated, and I've heard it taught that the father was stern, the father was crass and hard, and that's why the man left. No. The man, as he's running, I think he breaks down in the middle of his stride and realizes, like, that's my dad. Like, he's, he's always been that way. How, how could I have missed it? There are some people in your life that you thought were trying to kill you, and they loved you the entire time. Friends that you cut off because you thought that they were too hard on you but they actually loved you. That's why it was hard. Family members, you said, I'm never talking to Uncle Joe again, but Uncle Joe might have a $100,000 check that he's not willing to give to his kids, but he's adopting and giving it to you, but you left. Some of the riches that are stored up in heaven aren't just in heaven. They're stored behind our asking for forgiveness. The father was just an expectant just as expectant on the day that he left as the day that he came. But it says that the father hugged and kissed him. This is significant. Nothing that you read in the Bible is just, no, no big deal. No, this is massive. Remember, the son runs away. He disowns him. Somebody say disown. I have to disown you because God doesn't just curse a piece of it. He curses the whole. That's why we bring our first fruits. God, if you bless this portion, what? All of it should be good, Right? That's why I give. I give because I'm selfish. God, I want everything you got from me. Here's $100. I got $100, here's 20. I got $1,000, here's, here's 1,000, right? This is concept of giving back to God what's already his. So the father does what? Say hug, 
and kiss. When the father hugs his son, he is reestablishing covering. All the other servants around, he's basically saying as he hugs him, don't y'all say nothing. As the father embraces his son that's covered in fecal matter and poop and slime and dirt and grime, he's telling everybody else, I don't care how expensive my clothing is. If what I am wearing keeps me away from my son, you can have it. That's what Jesus did. Jesus gave up his ability to be in God to come and save you. Not just to save you from sin, but to save you to get back to work to fulfill the kingdom mandate of Matthew 28, taking it everywhere that you were supposed to go. So the father wraps him up. He smells. But now the father smells like the son. The point of your relationship with Christ is to smell like the father. But we can be in church, we can be around and not even smell like him. I know my parents used to know, I used to lie to them. Where were you at? I was out. Like, no, you were at the butler's house. How did they know? Because the butler's house scent goes with you. <laughs> you smell like tuna nuda casserole. Uh-uh, I brushed my teeth. I use mouthwash. No, uh You smell like peach pie. Miss Dana didn't, oh, dang, I just gave myself away. So it's this thing of if you stay around long enough, you have to begin to smell like him. And God's not afraid of smelling like your anxiety. God's not afraid of smelling like your addiction to pornography. God's not afraid of, of smelling like your ism. He's not afraid of smelling like your prejudice. Why do we always X God out of helping us work through racism? There's no focus group that's going to help you see lighter skinned people better. You got to go back to the creator. God, I just don't know what it is. His skin is darker than mine. I think he's inferior. God is strong enough for you to take your ism to him and work it out. Because it doesn't break you down to love other people more. It breaks you down to love him more and ourselves less. Somebody say, love me less. He hugs him, which means that he establishes covering back over him. But then he kisses him. Before the son can finish his sentence, he wraps him up, he kisses him. And the kiss in, in, in the Jewish faith is a sign of forgiveness. He hugs him, but then he goes, that kiss basically says anything that you were about to say, however long you were gone, done. I know you got the alcohol in your hand right now. You're high right now, but guess what? It's done. Because the problem that the son didn't understand is that the price was already paid when he left. So everything that you just did was a lesson for you, but you still get to come back and receive it all. God doesn't care about where you went or how far away you went. Somebody say, it's forgiven. Somebody lift up your hands right now. Say, I'm forgiven. Just right here, like I'm forgiven. I'm, I'm forgiven. Every, every part of me. Because forgiveness isn't about not going to hell. Forgiveness is about fulfilling the assignment that God put on your life. Forgiveness has nothing to do about going back to hell or, or sin. has nothing to do with sin. Remember, he loved you enough that he already died for it. Somebody say, sin is taken care of. But your assignment on earth is, un, is unfinished. The point of the kingdom isn't just to be saved and go to heaven. No, the point of the kingdom is to be dispatched into the earth, into all of the different mountains. But you can't be effective in the health mountain if you don't, know, if you don't take Christ with you. You can't be effective in your family if you don't take Christ with you. Somebody say, take Christ with you. 
Luke 15, 25. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Don't forget, one day I'm going to have the boldness to teach a sermon on the one who stayed. Because there's a whole sermon on this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Okay? I guess so. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Someone said, what's going on? Underline this. This is how I think it happened. Your brother is back. This person's super excited. We're all excited. He's back at the crib. He's been gone for 15 years. Your brother is back. Uh, uh, he, he, he was told, and, and your father has killed, because he's probably like on his way to like go get like some stuff for the party. Like he's going to Party City, then he's going to Toys R Us. I know it's not there anymore, but just enlighten me. Like he, he's going to Nobby's, Hobby Lobby. Like I gotta get chargers. I ain't got enough chargers. Like, he's like, hey, you, your, dad, your son's home. Your dad said, go get the fatty calf, go home. But the older son doesn't move. He's not excited. His heart doesn't jump with joy. Now his heart is filled with two things. I want you to write this down. Self-righteousness and jealousy. Even though he stayed, he's still jealous. How? The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But the son replied, he says, all these years I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me. Like I literally smell like wheat. Like I'm coming in from working your fields. Like I never left. Look at your neighbor say, I never left. And all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son, somebody say, when this son, come on, everybody's black just for two seconds. Somebody say, this son. There you go. You've always wanted to. I just gave you permission. All the white folks are like, that was so awesome. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the calf. The older brother had to deal with jealousy. I want you to write this down, church folks. How many of you in this, in this organization, like you are healed, you're saved by the blood of the lamb, you know God. Like you love God, you're, you're healthy. That's, I only got six hands. How many of you are healthy? Like I know God. Like you don't come to the service for the sermons, you come to look for opportunities to serve. Okay. I want you to write this down. This is gonna be kind of tough. I've been talking to other people that have been lost, but I want you to write this down in your heart. Somebody say, write this down in your heart. Don't allow your feelings on how they left to change your heart posture on when you return. Yeah. We all saw our pastors weep when certain people left. 98, 2003, 2007. Some of you that left came to the conference. Can I be that open and honest? And you looked happier here than you do in, as you portray yourself on social media. Can I be that honest? I don't want to go to heaven and not have had this conversation. Because God's not going to ask me what sermon I taught. God's going to ask me, hey, that opportunity that you had to tell somebody how much I love them and reinstate them and put them back in the place of glory. Did you take it? But church, the church grew, but you didn't tell anybody about who I am. You didn't redeploy anybody back into their mission field. You didn't empower them to wear their crown. You didn't give them the ability to pull their pulpit anywhere else. Shame on you. Somebody say shame on you. The future of the church is built on our collaborative love with the lost and the found. It's not the found collaborating with the lost. There are people in the world right now that know how to do church better than us, and they curse. Okay, they, they're too saved. The most amazing part of our organization in church is that we always have potential clients. 
Because we're all falling in grace, out of grace, in grace, out of grace, out of grace, in grace, backwards, backwards, up, down, all the way. Okay, so, so, so if this Sunday the sermon's not for you, that means that your assignment has changed from sitting in the purple seat to serving. But I hope that if those of you that are, am I okay? For those of you that were watching and you might have left, like, just, just get over how you feel and come back home. Because Pastor Martin's spirit that loved you, he's passed it on to me. Wow. The same spirit in the man of God and woman of God that blessed you to go to Florida, to go to Texas, or to go and start your business, or to have the baby or whatever. The same spirit lives here. The same spirit is also in the people that are here. How many of you are expecting for some people to not just be watching online, but sitting next to you in service? Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. I mean, it's cool I can send you a link, but I'd much rather have my friend Sean sitting with me. Sean I'd, ra- Sean, I'd rather you be sitting with me, bro. What is that? I'd rather you hear the word with me. I know there's some conversations that we need to have, and I'm sorry, but I would much rather you be here. Man, his father said to him, look, dear son, underline this. You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. The father gave a portion to the younger son, but the one that stayed, he gets to even have what his brother has. He's like, he got a portion, but you own the portion that he has. We had to celebrate his happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. What is easy for the father can sometimes be hard for the children. The father is always, the mother is always willing to, it's good. But the sons and daughters that stayed at the house and watched the older brother, like, curse them out. Yeah, mommy and daddy might have forgave you, but I can't, bro. You know what I had to do since you left? I never have to take out the trash. Now I got to take out the trash, bro. You know how I hate trash, bro. And in church, this is what it looks like. You left. These are my parents now. This is my church. And we won't invite people, not because we don't love them, but because we're afraid that if too many people come to the building, we'll lose our spot. No no spot in the church is that important. This title of being Pastor Joshua, it didn't come on my birth certificate, which means that when I die, they're not going to call me Pastor Joshua in heaven. God's going to call me a son of his. But if we hold on to our title and being a covenant partner so hard, we can beat people with the freedom that they're supposed to receive. And as I begin to, like, pastor this thing, Kent, I ran into somebody at the conference, really quick. I ran into somebody at the conference who came to our church like 20-something years ago. I remember when they got married. It was a white couple. And I was sitting up here. I looked out, and I screamed. Now, if you guys know me, I have no chill. I'm the same way I am at your kid's soccer game, at a christening in church. You see how loud and crazy I'm up here? That's just who I am. This is not a show. This is not an act. Play with me and tell me that you got a new job. I don't care if we're in a Catholic service. Yeah! I don't care. Because sometimes how you celebrate the person points them back to a God that loves them. Okay, y'all, y'all sleepy. It's okay. 
Don't tell me stuff you don't want somebody to really celebrate with. I know you want this to be a 10-minute conversation on the phone. We're going to be on this phone for an hour. So what's your business plan, bro? How much money do you need? Who do you, well, I have, like Enoch does, does this, this. Chris does this. Uh, Jamie does this. Like I have all these people, bro. What do you need? Because I want to help build people and make them better. And that's the only way that the church works. The pastor can't do this job by himself or herself. Somebody raise your right hand. Say, I have to care just as much. Last point. There are some things that will never be fixed until you come back to the house. <laughs> like we try to have in-person conversations through texts. Then we get misunderstood. And then that re-fires the fire. I, mean, I can't stand her. Yeah, you texted her. Like you texted, I love you in all caps. And to you, it was like, I love you. But to them, like, I love you. Like that's, you know, you can't interpret that. But I think that there's something so significant about this because it's not just about coming back to a church. Some of you ran away from purpose. God showed you something so big, so crazy, and it scared you. So you said, give me my stuff, I'm out. And I believe that God is calling you back to purpose today. Some of you, um, you ran back to the addiction that God set you free from because it was too scary being loved. Like I'm used to being in bondage, right? And I just feel like today God is calling some people home. All week, this is all I've been hearing. Come home! That's, that's what I've been hearing in my soul. Come home! And the further you get away, the louder it gets. Come home! And I saw all these folks in the crowd at the conference, and I ran up to them, and I was like, hey, how many of you guys have a dog? You have a dog? Cats are terrible. They don't care. Dogs are like, hey, man, where you been? Oh, man, what's awesome, man? It's good to see you, bro. And then they want to kiss you and lick you. Cats are like, oh, you're home. Right? But I ran up to them, and I, and I hugged them. And, and church people have this tendency. How many of you have cats? They don't care about your life. They don't. Cats have no soul. I'm sorry. Fight me. Sugar doesn't go in grits. Cats don't have souls. Fight me. But uh, I, ran in, I ran into them, right, at the conference. And you could always tell when somebody wants to come back to a place, but they don't feel comfortable. I'm speaking to somebody's soul. Because I run into you all the time at the grocery store. Hey, I'm coming back to church. I don't care. How's your wife? I know I've been gone for a while. I haven't been counting the days. How you doing? Hey, they have a really great chicken cutlet on aisle six. Come with me. And I don't meet them here. I meet them there. And I held them and I hugged them because last time I saw them, I was like this. And I was like, I'm old now, huh? I'm big, huh? And I was like, hey, I'm a pastor now. And uh, the husband of the wife, uh, he was like, man, that's so awesome. Like, yeah, we're just like, we're just passing through. Like, we're trying to find a church. And I'm like, but why? You're home now. Like, I remember your face. I might have been little. I don't know what happened. But whoever hurt your heart then or whatever situation was confused, I know nothing about that. So just come through the back door. When I was in sin, my sister used to let me in through the back door. Mommy and daddy are asleep. Come in and get a plate of food. Why? Because it's just like this thing, like, you need to be in this house. 